Futures trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Opinions and statements of guests not affiliated with Everag are their own and do not reflect the views of Everag. The accuracy of their statements cannot be guaranteed by Everag. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Today is Tuesday, March 7th. May corn is trading slightly lower this morning at 6.35, with May soybeans down four and a quarter cents, trading 15.24. Grain markets have come into March like a lion, will they leave like a lamb? This week, it's our privilege to have John Newton, Chief Economist at the U.S. Senate Committee on Ag, Nutrition, and Forestry. Good morning, and thank you for joining us, John. Thanks for having me. John, every five years, we go through the process of passing a farm bill with 2023 being such a year. As your title alludes to, you spend a lot of time working in D.C. with policymakers. Tell us a little bit about what your role is and how you work with the Senate. Well, well, first and foremost, you know, again, thanks for the opportunity to join you guys. You know, being the chief economist for the the Senate Ag Committee, it's, it's a rewarding opportunity to work with our nation's farmers and ranchers. And, you know, my primary job is, you know, to work with the ranking member, John Bozeman of Arkansas, keep him up to date on what's happening uh, in the markets, issues that, that would interact with farm policy, uh, provide policy analysis for the ranking member, and, and really take all the feedback that we get from stakeholders. You know, we really want this farm bill to be a grassroots, grassroots-driven process. And so take that feedback from stakeholders, communicate it to him so that he's well-informed uh, as we you know, go through this farm bill process. You mentioned that you want it to be a grassroots farm bill, which is great, and and you want to hear from those who are directly impacted by it. What are some of the policies, John, that you're hearing from farmers, producers, ranchers across the U.S. that are top of mind and those messages that you're conveying to lawmakers right now? Well, we've we've been listening to stakeholders. You know, I started this job close to two years ago, and we've been doing in-person visits, you know, here on Capitol Hill and you know, I'll urge any listener, if you're ever in Washington, D.C. and want to see the, the Ag Committee hearing room, please reach out. We'd be happy to host you. Uh, but we've been listening to stakeholders for the last two years now. And what's top of mind, you know, every single grower that, that comes through our doors, one of the first things they talk about uh, is this is going to be the most expensive crop uh, that they've ever raised. Uh, input costs have gone through the roof. Uh, you name the input category, whether it's fertilizer, interest rates, land values, machinery labor, animals, all of those costs have gone up to the extent that production costs this year are projected at a record uh, $460 billion. And uh, when you effectively take out a mortgage every single year to put a crop in the ground or care for livestock, and you don't know if you're going to get enough growing degree days, if you're going to get enough moisture, Mother Nature's your business partner. So you don't know what you're going to make when you plant that crop. And so the first thing out of everyone's mouth is we need to uh, really enhance the farm safety net. Uh, if you look back over the last six years, uh, we've distributed billions and billions of dollars in ad hoc support, whether it was related to you know, trade being weaponized with China, uh, the pandemic, several years of you know, natural disasters. Seventy percent of that support has come from outside the farm bill. So I think we recognize that you know, this farm bill is an opportunity to invest in the risk management tools that producers need. Uh, our safety nets don't reflect the reality of uh, today's cost of doing business. And so that's really a priority that we hear from stakeholders time and time again, is we need to make sure we've got risk management tools that work, 
that are dependable. You cannot wait several years for ad hoc disaster support from Congress. You don't know if you're going to get it. Uh, they need to have confidence when they go to their banker that here are the risk management tools that, that we have. Uh, here's my marketing plan. All of that fits together, but you have to have a strong safety net to do so. Absolutely. One of the key components of each farm bill, of course, is federal crop insurance. Can you talk a little bit about changes that you guys would like to see made to that program? You anticipate? Do you what? What's the look there? Yeah, and, and we we know that that crop insurance is a, a very very important safety net. When you look at the developments in the crop insurance space that we've seen over the last few years, you know, in 2018 we removed the cap on livestock. Crop insurance, there's a $20 million cap on livestock policies. Uh, we were able to remove that. Uh, and you've seen the growth with dairy revenue protection, with livestock risk protection, uh, with LGM. It's really taken off in the feeder cattle space, uh, in the swine space. There's you know, billions and billions of pounds of milk uh, covered under the program. So we know that, that crop insurance is a, a very, very important safety net. Uh, but one of the things we need to look at is if you look back over the last you know, six years or so, the amount of ad hoc support, whether it's related to wildfires, hurricanes, excessive flooding, tornadoes in the wintertime in Kentucky, for example, that ad hoc support is not dependable. You have to get it over the finish line in Congress. USDA has to you know, go through effectively a rulemaking process to determine how they're going to get the money out the door. And by the time a farmer gets the assistance they need from a catastrophic natural disaster, it's been years. So we need something that is more responsive, again, that, that a farmer can depend on, they know how it works, that lenders can look at and say, here's the risk management tools that you have in place. And crop insurance is you know, uniquely positioned to do that. So I think looking at crop insurance, thinking about ways to enhance it, looking at some of the endorsements that could be offered under crop insurance. But again, one of the beautiful things about crop insurance is that private companies can develop new policies through the 508H process. So you can continue to see that innovation occur from the private sector. Uh, so first and foremost, we need to protect crop insurance. We need to do that every single farm bill. There are always efforts to try to weaken that safety net. But I think you know, coming out of the years that, that we've had recently, looking at the Russia-Ukraine situation, now's not the time to weaken the farm safety net. We need to do the opposite. We need to enhance it. Absolutely. And we appreciate the work that you and your team do on educating lawmakers um, what's going on in the country place. Out in the country, as we know, it's a, a critical component to moving this thing forward. Everybody's, of course, wondering, will a farm bill get done this year? What can you tell us about progress on the new farm bill? I could say that, you know, we're doing the work here on the, the Ag Committee that we need to do. Again, we've been listening to stakeholders for uh, quite some time. We have hundreds and hundreds of farmers that walk through our doors every single year. Uh, we've got a large group coming in yet this afternoon. So, you know, we've had, uh, we had a field hearing in, in Michigan at Michigan State University last year. We had a field hearing in Jonesboro, Arkansas last year. And then this year in the 118th, uh, we've had a number of, of hearings. We started with trade and horticulture. Uh, we had a crop insurance title one and disaster hearing. Uh, we had a nutrition hearing. Uh, last week, we had a conservation hearing. This week, we're going to have a hearing on CFTC issues. And then here, I believe the following week or the week after, we'll have Secretary Vilsack in to provide his you know, input on the farm bill process and oversight of USDA. So we're, we're doing our work. The, the challenge is, you know, quite frankly, we spent the better half of the last two years working on reconciliation. 
the Build Back Better and the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, you know, th- that partisan process slowed down our capacity to do a bipartisan farm bill. So we're playing catch up. Our goal is to get it done on time. But we should have been having these hearings a long time ago, quite frankly. If we switch gears a little bit away from the farm bill and just talk in general about trade policies, it's been on the, the top of mind as we talk with producers across the country. I'm, her- I'm sure you're hearing the same thing. What are some of the trade policies that are currently being worked on or that may have some implications for U.S. agriculture as we look to the future? Well, you know, certainly you look at what Canada's doing with dairy on USMCA, that's a big deal. You know, that dispute settlement process needs to, you know, land favorably uh, for U.S. dairy farmers. I mean, when you agree to a trade agreement, you agree to, you know, market access provisions as they did in USMCA, you need to live up to that. Uh, And I think if you look south of the border, What's happening on, you know, biotech corn and the decree that the Mexican government has that, that you know, bans U.S. corn, biotech corn from entering the country, uh, that's, a, that's a slippery slope. That's a huge precedent. Uh, it ignores, you know, science-based information. So the, we saw an announcement that uh, Ambassador Tai is, is going to, you know, start the SPS conversations with, with Mexico. And if that's not successfully resolved, then I would anticipate we proceed with, you know, an official dispute settlement case with Mexico. But, you know, that's the reality on on trade is we need to make sure that other countries accept science-based practices. We need to get out there and find new markets. We need to invest in, in new markets. Farm Bill provides MAP and FMD funding to, to help do that. But look, you know, this year, U.S. agriculture is going to have a negative trade balance. 52 out of 55 years, we've had a positive trade balance. This year, our trade balance is going to be a negative $15 billion. That's the largest negative trade balance that we've ever had. And we need to address that. We need access to, to more markets overseas. You look at, you know, on the dairy side, common food names, the ability to market and get access to, to other countries is being limited by, you know, geographic indicators. So, you know, those are all things that are in the trade space that, that need to be addressed. At the end of the day, if we have fair and open trade. You know, our producers, our our agribusiness companies, our food companies can compete with anybody. We just need to have fair and reliable market access. John, I'd like to dive into that just a little bit further, if you don't mind. You mentioned we're going to have the largest ag trade deficit ever in a time when a lot of the world is looking for a safe, reliable source of particularly wheat and corn, some of the, the products, sunflower oil that Ukraine had been shipping and is still shipping into the rest of the world just at a bit of a different cadence. What's the reason why all of a sudden we're having this big trade deficit? What's changed? Well, certainly a, a couple factors. One, a, a strong dollar, you know, makes it easier for us to buy and, and import, you know, foreign produce, agricultural products. You know, but our trade deficit is not in grains and oil seeds and, and wheat products. Uh, it's in your specialty crops, your you know your fruit and vegetable products that that we import, your horticultural products like your wine and spirits and beers. Those are the big drivers of the negative trade balance that that we're expected to see this year. And again, with a strong dollar, uh, you know we can buy and import a, a lot of uh, foreign produced goods that are that are driving that record large trade deficit. So we all need to make sure that we drink more U.S. grown whiskey. Beer and wine. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I fully support that. <laughs> well, John, if producers want to learn more about what's going on 
at Capitol Hill, if they want to keep an eye on ag-related policy, where's a good place they can go to do so, John? Well, you can certainly go to the you know our website. I believe it's uh, ag.senate.gov, the Senate Ag Committee, where you see uh, news from both the majority and the minority, so you can see you know what we're tracking, what we're following. You can live stream all of the hearings that we have. You can come in person. Uh, if you're in Washington, D.C. and, and want to come to a hearing that we're having or want to come visit uh, with the Ag Committee, we'd be more than welcome to host you. I think being engaged in your commodity organizations, you know, if you're a corn grower or soybeans or dairy farmer, being engaged in those organizations will keep you looped in on policy. Uh, being engaged with your Farm Bureau is, is another way to stay connected with what's happening on farm policy issues. So there are a lot of ways to, to be engaged. And, and I think, you know, what my, one of my former bosses always said is, you know, you need to get outside your fence rows uh, and be engaged and tell your story and advocate on behalf of your, you know, farm or ranch business. Absolutely, John. It was a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. And thank you for the work that you and your team do in conveying the voice of production agriculturists to policymakers on Capitol Hill. We certainly appreciate that. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend, or give us a review. Thank you to Everag Insights and especially Corey Romero, our wonderful producer, and Paige Driscoll for her wonderful mixing and mastering skills.